This comes from Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Since she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes. My Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also put out some from the bundles before her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she, set, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word, and thank you for this beautiful picture that we see uh, in, the, in the book of Ruth, Lord. And so now as Brandon comes, Lord, illuminate the truth of your word to us uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to bring understanding. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the story goes that there was a man in his house during a uh, storm. And there was a knock on his door, and when he opened the door, there was a police officer there. And she said to him, you need to evacuate, there's going to be a flood. And he said, now I'm a Presbyterian, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe that he will save me. And so he stayed, and a few hours later, the rains had come and come and come, and his entire first floor was underwater, and he had moved up to the second floor, and he was standing on a balcony, and a boat came up to him. There was a National Guards person in that boat, and she said to him, she said, 
come on in the boat and we can take you to safety. And he said, no, no, I'm good. I'm a Presbyterian. We believe in the sovereignty of God and I know that he will save me. And so he stayed and it kept raining for a few more hours. And at that point, his entire house was underwater and he is treading water. He's like trying to stay afloat and he's getting really tired. And he's praying, God, save me. And the helicopter comes and it hovers over him and they drop the rope ladder and a Coast Guard's person comes down the ladder and, and she says, give me your hand and, and we'll carry you away to safety. And he says, no, I'm good. I'm Presbyterian. I'm believing God is going to save me. And so he died. He gets to heaven and and he sees Jesus, and he's happy to be there, of course, but he sees Jesus and said, Jesus, I just don't understand it. I, I trusted you. I trusted that you were the Lord of the storm, that you could calm the storm, that you could save me. Why didn't you save me? And Jesus said, I sent you a policeman. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. You didn't take them. Now, I appreciate you laughing at that uh, because it is the oldest joke in the book. And so you can consider that your good deed for this week. But the idea that God is going to provide for us in our time of need, that's kind of the topic of this message. It's what uh, I want to look at this morning because uh, we need to know how God uh, meets our needs and how do we know when it's Him? How do we know when it's God and not just someone else? And so really, what does it look like? And, and first, I want to kind of uh, delve into this phrase that you're, you've probably heard before, that God helps those who help themselves. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we've been in the book of Ruth. So far in the story, uh, the, a real quick recap, Naomi and Ruth are new widows. Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And they, they had been living in Moab, and now they are returning to Israel, Naomi's land. And Ruth has pledged to stay with her. And things are not really great for them. They are uh, they're without someone to support them. Uh, they're in poverty. They're hungry. And they happen to live at a time and in a culture where it's next to impossible for women to provide for themselves. Looking at the first two verses, uh, well, really just the second verse, we see that Ruth said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, the ears of grain and after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about what gleaning is uh, later on. But what you have to realize is that the people who glean are kind of the lowest of the low. This is Naomi. In Naomi's mind, this is hitting rock bottom. This is about as bad as it can get. And she was already kind of depressed. If you remember from last week, she, she wanted to change her name, right? Because she was, she was so bitter towards God. She was blaming God for all of her problems. And so I think when Ruth came to Naomi and asked if she could go glean, 
I think she was kind of at her wit's end. I think she just had enough. You know, there's no one to, there's nothing to eat, and no one is going to give them any food. And so something had to be done. And so I, I think something along the lines of, you know, God helps those who help themselves was running through her head. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with that statement, but I will say this, it's a little bit of a contrast with what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus stressed the importance of recognizing that God is the one who provides for us. And I think that Ruth probably understood that, that God was her provider. But just like you and I, she kind of lived in that tension between having trust in God and taking an act of faith. See, sometimes God provides in miraculous ways. Like an example of that would be when he sent ravens to deliver meat and bread to Elijah. Like he was doing Uber Eats before we ever thought of it. Most of the time, though, God provides for us through just kind of ordinary means. Maybe it's our parents, right? Maybe our parents provide us with our food or with our clothes. Uh, they, they give us a place to live. Or maybe we have jobs. Maybe we do work and people give us money in exchange for that. And then we use that money to buy what we need. Those are the ways that God usually provides for us. This week, Alicia and I, we, uh, we got away up to Maggie Valley in North Carolina. And so we were driving uh, through these mountain roads. And I tell you, the trees right now are in full autumnal splendor. And so we're coming around a bend and just this whole uh, burst of color comes into view. And I say, wow, that is really amazing. And I look over at Alicia and she's on her phone. Now she was doing something cool. She was looking up things that we could do once we got there, which was a worthwhile task. But when she looked up and she saw she just kind of laughed at herself and she put her phone away and she said, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm missing everything that God is doing around me. She had been so fo focused on solving one little problem that she was missing what God had wanted to show her. And I, I think that this is kind of where Ruth was on this day when she went out to glean. She was focused on this one task, a good task, of finding a way to feed herself and Naomi. And she was acting in faith, right? Because she believed that if she went out and tried, she would find favor in someone's eyes. 
But God knew that she and Naomi had deeper needs than just the need for food. She was kind of distracted with this worthwhile endeavor, and she had no idea what God was about to do. And that's fortunate for us that God doesn't kind of leave it up to us to figure out what needs to happen next. And nor does he leave things up to chance. God leaves nothing up to chance. Look at verse 3. It says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come. She just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now Ruth had no idea that the field that she stopped in belonged to a relative of her late husband. The verse says that she just so happened to come to that field. But if you dig into the original language a little bit, into the Hebrew, you, you find that there's this curious thing where they put a, a verb followed by a noun, and both words have the same root. It's a word called kara. It's Q-R-H. And like a literal translation of those two words together would maybe be something like she chanced by chance to come to that field. The, the author was emphasizing kind of the absurdity of it. It was kind of saying like, yeah, Ruth had no idea what was happening, but this is more than just a mere coincidence. But from her perspective, it was just, I've just picked this field at random. And you know, my life has been full of kind of random happenstance as well. Because it, it just so happened when I was a young man, I didn't choose my first career. My, uh, I was in a bit of legal trouble and my dad got me a job. So I'd look good in front of a judge. And, and it just so happened that I fell in love with a coworker at that job. And a short time later, it just so happened that a baby came along. And through that same career, it just so happened that I was assigned to train somebody who told me all about Jesus. And it just so happened that we started attending his church where I first discovered a calling on my life to go into ministry. And it just worked out by chance that my career started to unravel right at the height of the housing bubble. We sold our house and moved to Georgia. We found a church here my sister just happened to be a member of. And later, when I'm unemployed and I'm trying to figure out, well, what do I do now? I need a, a new career. I have this calling on my life. Well, it just so happened our presbytery starts a program at a seminary for people like me who started the career route earlier in life. And as, that, as I'm going through seminary, I'm trying to figure out where does God want me to go? Well, just so happens, Ryan and Megan decide to plant a church in the town that I just happened to live in, out of a church that I just happened to be an elder in. You know, looking back, I would say it's almost like there's some mysterious force that was somehow guiding things, preparing me 
for right now. You know, once I, I had an opportunity to drive Steve Brown to a prayer meeting. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Steve Brown, he's an amazing preacher and teacher, uh, professor, seminary professor within the PCA. He's an author. And uh, on that day, we were getting to know each other a little bit, and I was telling him how uh, lucky I was to have such a supportive wife. And he looked over at me, and he had his pipe in his mouth, and he looks at me, and he raised an eyebrow, and he said, I don't even think I can try to do his voice, but he said, son, we call that providence. It was a gentle rebuke, but it was appropriate because I don't want to insult God by giving the credit for His divine providence to mere chance, to the fates. My life is not a random chain of happenstance. And Ruth's life was not a random chain of happenstance. And your life is not a random chain of happenstance. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And in Ephesians 2, he goes on to say, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even if we lived our life by flipping a coin to make every decision, Proverbs 16 reminds us that though the lot is cast into the lap, it's every decision is from the Lord. Nothing is left to chance. You know, from Ruth's perspective, it seemed like she just happened upon Boaz's field. But you'll see, as we continue through this series and more and more of this story happens, it will become more and more evident that God was in every little detail of what happened with Ruth. He was providing for her every need, not just her most deeply felt need or the need that she felt most urgently. And like my own story, when Ruth looks back, she sees this tapestry of how God has woven all of these things, good and bad, together. His provision is everywhere. But Ruth just can't see it yet. And it's easy to kind of miss what God's doing in our lives, right? Because God most often provides through ordinary means. If we pick up in, in verse 4, we read uh, Boaz comes uh, from Bethlehem to his field and he says to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then he said to his young man who's in charge of the reapers, Who's, whose woman is, is this? And the servant who's in charge of the reapers answers, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Now in this in this paragraph, we see three kinds of God's provision at work. 
The fir- first we see Boaz. See, Boaz went through the same famine that Elimelech went through, yet he stayed put in Israel. And somehow, through the course of this famine, he either became wealthy or remained wealthy. But God blessed him in, in big ways during this time. Now, Boaz and the other landowners who had experienced that, that abundance of provision, they employed a number of people. They had reapers out in their fields and they had supervisors over, overseeing them. They, they had other kinds of servants. And those are people who were working for a wage. And God was providing for them through that work. And then Ruth and, and we assume others were unemployed. And God made provision for them, specifically for the fatherless and the widows and the immigrants. And gleaning was the ordinary means that God used to provide for them. Now, gleaning is kind of a practice that we don't really have an equivalent of anymore. So uh, this was from the Mosaic Law. The idea of gleaning, a farmer, when he would harvest his, his field, he was not allowed to harvest all the way to the edges. He had to leave the edges untouched. And then after they gathered all of the wheat into these little piles they called sheaves, and they tied them up, they would haul those off to the threshing floor, and then they were done. The law said they could not go back and do a second pass. They could not go back and pick up the things that they had accidentally dropped. They had to leave all of that in the field, and then the the poor would come in and they would pick up what was left and they would harvest the edges of the field. And that was how God provided for them. They had a similar practice with grapes and with olives. Now, I don't know why God chooses that some are wealthy and some get to glean. The only answer we really have is that God just gets to make that decision. And we don't get to know why. But I think it's tempting for us to believe that somehow our faithfulness to God is related to how much uh, prosperity or financial blessing that we experience. We might point to Boaz and say, he didn't run off to Moab and that's why he was so wealthy. But I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that promise to us anywhere. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, he observed in Ecclesiastes 9 that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We simply don't know why some folks prosper and others do not. Read the Psalms. Read about how often David was complaining that his enemies were prospering. This is what we do know. We know that God is sovereign over all of it. 
And we know, because Romans 8 tells us that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God doesn't make everyone wealthy, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear that He cares about the poor. And He expects us as His people to have compassion on them, especially the fatherless and the immigrants and the widows. And that's what gleaning was all about. God meeting the needs of people through His people. I'm not sure what the equivalent of, of gleaning is in our culture today. I don't know what that would look like. And, and I have to acknowledge that our attempts to uh, meet the needs of the poor these days are uh, complex and politicized. I'm not going to stand up here and say the Bible says this about welfare or says this about giving. Or What I'm going to challenge you this morning is put yourself in this story and ask yourself, which role are you in? And ask yourself, what would God have you do as an individual? Are you wealthy? Are you able to provide opportunities for those who are in need? What might God have you do? Are you a worker? Do you work for someone else? Do you have influence in the company you work for? Do you interact with people who are in need through the course of your business? How might you treat them with dignity? How might you influence your employer to help meet their needs. Maybe you're in need. Maybe, maybe you don't have the means to provide for yourself. And maybe what God's asking you to do this morning is lay down your pride and say, I'm going to let someone help me. I'm going to let God meet my needs through the acts of somebody else. And God doesn't only provide for our physical needs. He also provides through spiritual means. Picking up in verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. So the women would tie up the sheaths uh, after the reapers would go through. And so if she kept close to those women, she would be the first one to pick up whatever they might have dropped. She would get the choicest gleans. He says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? She's not going to be rebuked or, or, or moved away from uh, being in the field too soon. She's not going to be accosted by men who see her as vulnerable because He called her my daughter. She came under His protection. When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me 
since I am a foreigner. Now, I don't think it's unusual for Ruth to be so surprised here that she's found such good favor. Because remember, she thought that she was going to play the role of a poverty-stricken widow for the rest of her life. And she expected to be shunned and despised because she was a despicable Moabite. She was fatherless. She had left her family behind in Moab. She was an immigrant because she came from Moab and she thought that she was always going to be the widow. Because what fine, upstanding Jewish man was going to marry a Moabite woman? She had chosen a very dif difficult path. This is why Orpah turned around. She had expected this to be much harder than it was turning out to be. And here it was. She just happened to stumble into the path of Boaz and found favor. Now, I think we're tempted as we read this story to kind of write off this whole moment as just kind of puppy love, right? Or an infatuation. This is part of the love story. It's love at first sight. Here's this beautiful, young, exotic, foreign woman and Boaz jumps right in and uh, wants to impress her. He's trying to earn her favor. But I, he's known her less than a day. And I don't think there's anything that we know about Boaz and what we experience about his level of character. I don't think there's anything that, that lets us justify taking that opinion of him. That he was just doing something kind of selfish and self-serving. Or maybe even just impulsive. I do think there is a reason why Boaz was showing her particular favor. And we'll get to that in a minute. Before I go there, I think we should pause for a minute and think, just for a moment, why is it so difficult for us to believe that He would just show her love because she's a fellow human being? That kind of love doesn't really come natural to us, I don't think. It's easy, right? It's easy for us to love the people where we feel like we're getting some kind of benefit from them. right? That's easy. We can love them easily. It's harder for us to love people when we don't get anything out of it. When there's really nothing that benefits us. And it's, and it's almost impossible for us to love someone who is actually hurting us. The truth is, only God has genuine concern for people. He's the only one. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul tells us, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's not our usual experience to get something for nothing. And, and this is why Ruth asked this question, why are you showing me favor? See, we might say to Ruth, go home and look in a mirror, right? Go home and look in a mirror and see how beautiful you are. That's why Boaz is treating you so well. 
But if we, if we follow that analogy and put, put ourselves and Jesus in that scenario, it doesn't quite work the same way because we're told that, the, that God's law is like a mirror, right? And if we hold our life up to God's law, it reflects back at us our inadequacies. It shows us how holy and perfect God is and it shows us how incredibly far below that standard we reach. When God looks at us, He doesn't see something attractive. He sees sinners who are marred by their rebellion against Him. And yet, despite our ugliness, Jesus demonstrated His love for us by dying for us. First, He lived that perfect life that we couldn't live, that image that God needs to see in the mirror. And then He paid the penalty that we could never pay by dying for our sins on a cross. And why did He do it? Because He loves us. Not because of anything He saw in us, but simply because He loves us. It's inexplicable. And in this moment, as, as Ruth is on her face and she's wrestling with this idea that someone could love her despite her low standing, we're reminded of Christ's love for us. How about you? Are you convinced that there's no way that God could love you? Do you look at your past choices in life and think, I'm too bad. I'm too evil. I've done too many difficult things. I'm too ugly for anyone to love. I'm telling you, those are lies from the pit of hell. Satan wants you to believe that there is no way for you to be reconciled to God. That there's no way to atone for your sin. That there is no way that your sin could ever be forgiven. But Jesus wants you to believe that He is the way. The truth and the life. And you can come to the Father through Him. Ruth stepped out her front door thinking, God helps those who help themselves, but now she's finding herself experiencing this tremendous, unmerited grace. She's discovering, and I hope that as we're in this moment pausing and contemplating, I hope that we're discovering that God favors those who cannot help themselves. We are powerless to reconcile ourselves to God, but Jesus is not powerless. And if this is striking a chord in you, if this is something new to you, or if this is something you haven't heard in a while and you need to be reminded of it, I would encourage you to talk to me or one of the other elders or someone that you know from the church about what you're feeling and thinking. Any one of us who 
serves communion would be a good person to talk to. Boaz is not Jesus. And I do think that he had a particular reason why he showed favor to Ruth. And it's because relationships matter. In in verse 11 we read, Boaz knows her story. He knows everything that she has done and why she is there in Israel. And, And he speaks a blessing over her. And she says, I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not even your servant. So here's what I think. This is Boaz's secret. He was a mama's boy. You see, Boaz's mother was Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab, it just so happens, was a foreigner just like Ruth. Rahab was notorious for her past sinful life just like Ruth was notorious for being a Moabitess. But you know what? Rahab was a hero. Rahab risked her own life for the sake of God's people. Just like Ruth sacrificed everything for the sake of Naomi. They both gave up their own country to come and be citizens in Israel. And they both came to believe in Yahweh, forsaking their false gods. You see, Ruth was not a stranger to Boaz. When he looked at her, he saw the nobility of his mother. And he had heard her story. He knew how similar she was to someone that he loved deeply. He saw himself when he looked at her. He didn't see a foreigner. I have a friend who runs a business. He's a manager of a, of a business, and he has an employee named Jose who is undocumented. And the first time he told me about Jose, I remember I had these uh, angry thoughts stir up inside of me, and, and I kind of went to a political place, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't like that he's undocumented. I don't like that he's cutting in line. And I, I had this, this reaction, though I had never met the man. But one day, my friend shared his story with me. He told me how he comes from a country in Central America that's very corrupt. And in the place where he lived, where he had a business, there was a corrupt official who was extorting him, who was demanding that he give them money that he could not afford to give them. And if he didn't, they were threatening to hurt his wife and his children. And he tried to get out. And he tried to come here legally, but those doors were not open to him. And then one day, they hurt his wife. And he didn't know what to do. And he had nowhere to turn. And he took almost all of his money and he gave it to men 
who transported him across the border illegally. And I asked myself, in that moment, my heart began to melt and soften. And I said, what if that was me? What if I was being oppressed and threatened and unable to protect the people I love? And what if I had no one to turn to and no legal recourse? What would I do in that situation? And the answer was obvious. I'd cross the border. And I'd hope that I'd be able to find grace and mercy on the other side. Now, I know that I'm kind of in dangerous territory here, and I didn't run this by Ryan, so we'll see if I'm still around. <laughs> but I'm not taking a position here. I'm not saying one thing. I'm not taking a political side. The point I'm making is this, and only this. When we know people's story, it changes our heart. It's been my experience when I'm talking with anyone from any kind of circumstance, no matter how bad, if I'm willing to put myself in their shoes and be honest with myself, I never come away from it thinking that I'm better than them. No matter, no matter what sin someone may have committed, absent the Holy Spirit's influence in my life, I, I would do the same thing. I would make the same bad choices. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Relationships matter. If we are going to embrace our calling to care for the fatherless and the immigrant and the widow, then we're going to have to tear down the walls that are between us. We're going to have to brave awkwardness as we encounter language barriers and cultural differences and racial tensions and class distinctions. You know, when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, she was astonished that He would even talk to her because He was crossing this racial boundary. And when Boaz first met Ruth, she was astonished at how kind He was to her because she was a Moabite. But here's the thing. Jesus knew the Samaritan woman's story. Remember? She left running into town telling everyone, come hear about a man who knew everything I ever did. Jesus knew her. And His heart was for her. And Boaz knew Ruth's story. And it's only when we know people's story that we can truly love them. So my question to you this morning is, are you willing to take the time to hear someone's story? To share your story with someone else? And maybe discover, why is it that God has put this person in my path? I have one last point as I bring this to a close. When Ruth left Naomi that morning to go into the fields, she was in despair 
and she was desperate. But after her encounter with Boaz, she was filled with hope and contentment. And why? Because God's provision is abundant. Verse 14, we see Boaz invites her to dinner. He's treating her like family. And then when she rose to glean afterwards, he tells, at this point he's just throwing all caution to the wind, right? He says like, look, just leave stuff out for her to pick up. You know, make it as easy for her as possible. And don't you dare rebuke her. And she worked hard until evening. And as she wrapped up her day, right, she's, she's got an ephah of barley, which I looked it up, is roughly the equivalent of 22 pounds of flour. This is what she's lugging home. I think she probably felt immensely blessed. Not only had she not been chased out of the fields as she had feared, but she'd been treated like family. God had not only met her immediate need for food, but He begun to meet her need to have the family restored that she had lost and left behind. She didn't know it yet. But God had a lot more in store for her. And through her, we are all blessed. Because through her family tree, we get to Jesus. And Jesus not only provides our daily bread, but He is the bread of life. And moreover, we're adopted into His family as sons and daughters of God. We are Jesus' brother. We are co-heirs with Jesus. And as followers of Christ, we're filled with purpose as we help to build His kingdom here. God's provision is abundant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You I thank You that though all of us are like the immigrant and the widow and the fatherless, that You see in us something that makes You love us. And Lord, though we don't understand what that could be because so often we have fallen short of of doing the things You would have us do or being the way You would have us be, Lord, I, I pray that we would be ever reminded of Your love, of Your grace and Your mercy. And as we recognize Your abundant provision for not only filling our bellies and clothing us, but in meeting our very spiritual need to be reconciled with You. I pray that we in turn would be so generous with others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.